hello, hello, and welcome to another episode of Chit Chatting with an S. I am joined today by my friend Maya, who works in policy and national security. So we're on a Zoom call. Hi, Maya. Hi. Hi, everyone. How are you doing? Um. Yeah, I'm not bad. How are you? I am good. And the reason I invited you today is because we've had quite a few conversations on working from home, same as a few other million people in the UK and around the world. So I thought it'd be just good to have a conversation on how that's been going for you. So have you been working from home since uh, March this year? Has it been later than that? I feel like it's been earlier than that. I, I really? feel like perhaps it's all blurred into one. So I, I might <laughs> I might be getting this wrong. Maybe end of February, beginning of March. Yeah, since then, I've been working from home nonstop. So in that question, uh, and it's, it's always the beginning part of, an, like a, of a meeting that you walk into. And instead of how's the weather, it's just like, oh, so, you know, lockdown, how's that been? <laughs> and you kind of either brush it off or, or you're a bit like, so I always describe it as being a bit perpetual. It seems a bit never ending, but then trying to keep it lighthearted. Uh, as as well but to make other people feel uncomfortable or we end up just talking about something about the experience of COVID instead of like what we're, we're actually focused on so yeah I would say that it's it's been perpetual but I think in the <laughs> last couple of weeks when it's kind of eased down a little bit that's that's definitely helped so, it, so it's been at least three months right oh my god my math yeah that's that's three months <laughs> so anyway <laughs> April, well, March, April, May, June. No, that's that's, that's like five months. <laughs> yeah. I clearly don't know how to count. It's been about five, six months, five months. Because uh, wow. I gave up meat for a while. Uh, so as soon as I went into lockdown, that's when I gave up meat. So what yes, it's been five months. Really? Pardon? Yeah, um, for a short while. So by, actually, that's a lie. So by giving up meat, <laughs> I mean... I've only been eating seafood if I'm eating meat uh, and I haven't like it's not something that I would give up it's more I just want to discipline myself so I can cut it out as much as I can so basically when I go to a restaurant I don't want to get FOMO if I see like uh, a land dish <laughs> and I'm like no I really need to be you know going for the sustainable option or you know so a vegetarian option so I, I want to be in a position where I'm not missing out I'm fine I'm perfectly content with this grilled asparagus or something uh, but <laughs> yeah so it's been that long about five months yeah wow and I've done things like dairy as well well again caveats I can never I could never give up cheese this is not gonna happen okay. um, I've switched milk basically this is a good opportunity to create good habits yeah because you're forced to make good habits almost so I was like oh let me pick a few things and see what I can control and then yeah do that I should warn you two things so first thing yes. is you're gonna hear constant sirens oh <laughs> constant sirens uh, every now and again um so that might disrupt your flow and number two my next door neighbor's child has recently discovered screaming and so just like <laughs> scream really loud and high pitched noises just like at the top of their lungs which is fine unless it's like 5am or 6am and you're like come on but yeah so those two things are generally in the background my, my walls are quite thin so yeah that's that's it 
Yeah, I was just realizing that since the beginning of the pandemic, I've only been wearing pajamas and tracksuits and like jumpers. <laughs> For the first time in my life, most of my clothes, if not all of my clothes, are ironed and hanged, which is shocking. Like it's so good to look at them. Like they're all still tidy, you know, because I'm not using anything. It just looks like a boutique. I have three items of clothing that I've been wearing for the past like three four months. <laughs> when you don't really need to use camera, then it's it's completely fine. There's this weird thing when you you enter a meeting and someone else turns on their camera, and if you don't, sometimes they take offense to that as if yeah. you're hiding something or you're not putting as much effort. And I feel like there's certain rules, unspoken rules, where you're supposed to use it. So like you know, when you're meeting someone for the first time acknowledging that it's a bit difficult now to do intros and have new starters so it's really important for you to like turn the camera on so I've done that but I look like an absolute mess on Friday <laughs> and my head, I had a bun on top of my head and everything and I was just a bit like I'm so sorry I didn't expect this to happen <laughs> yeah so nowadays I try to make a bit of an effort so top half top half is yeah. always like a t-shirt <laughs> or something bottom half is always like a jogging bottoms there are so many um, Zoom failed videos of people just standing up and forgetting that they're, they're you know, they're not wearing pants or <laughs> they have like yeah. a jacket or something, a blazer on, <laughs> then like their pajama bottom, which is totally fine. As I said, you know, it's all about the bust from the bust upwards. So <laughs> no one cares. You might be like sat in a pool or in a jacuzzi or <laughs> people might not know. Yeah. They did that, I think, in the state somewhere where the judge came out to say, I'm sick and tired of lawyers turning up, A, in their pyjamas on video conference, or B, hanging out by the poolside in a bikini. And I was like, <laughs> oh, come on. Like, are they actually doing that? With the judge? I mean, I'm not going to lie. If I had a pool, I would probably do that too. <laughs> Unfortunately, I don't have one. So, <laughs> you know, but I, I could just sit in the bathtub and wear my swimsuit. <laughs> <laughs> It'd be a little bit awkward, but quite fun. I feel like lockdown has, or working from home, has given me a good work-life balance. Interesting. Um, I definitely am not staying, by that I mean I'm not staying later in the office, but mm -hmm. I probably am doing the consistently longer hours than I usually would. So it's a bit, it's, it's a bit weird. Oh, so you are you are working longer hours. So essentially, the time that you would have spent commuting is that time that you now spend working. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, uh, but I don't feel it as much because I guess what I mean by that is I probably wake up earlier to do work, but I don't stay later. So yeah, like sometimes I might wake up and I might be working at like seven thirty, but previously there could be days where I'm I'm working until about like nine or ten or yeah so so around that time and it, it kind of just depends on the work as well whereas nowadays it's quite early and, and I kind of tell myself that I get to maybe maximum six o'clock and I switch off which is just close the laptop lid and that's it and then kind of rearrange the room so if I'm I've been mostly working from my bedroom which feels a bit it feels a bit weird because this is this is almost like my safe personal space. And so I got into a rut where it didn't sometimes feel like my my personal space anymore because if I, I used to work off it and then I tried to move around different rooms to make it seem like I'm traveling and going somewhere. But, uh, 
um, from the bedroom to the kitchen <laughs> yeah yeah and a colleague actually gave me this really good tip of yeah. maybe rename your kitchen as the Ritz or something so you know <laughs> so I'm just gonna go to the Ritz at the moment uh, <laughs> or like Pret is just around the corner so I'm just gonna walk into Pret and get a coffee and I'll, I'll be back for this meeting in two minutes uh <laughs> just as like <laughs> make it a bit more lighthearted as well so yeah it's it's a bit weird being stuck in in the same space sometimes uh, and I know I said this to you the only time where I, I actually leave leave the room is when I go out in the garden that's my yard time I'll go out and just yeah get some sunlight get some fresh air and then go back in only because there was a point where most people where I live they don't really observe social distancing properly and, and trust me I, I haven't seen many people following social distancing rules in London uh but yeah sorry <laughs> yeah, no, no it, it is exactly that yeah so and and I guess like because I said Newham has the high one of the well I don't know what it is now but at the time it was like one of the highest death tolls as well in, oh, in the really? UK yeah so I was a bit like okay well I don't really is there's one thing to kind of put myself at risk but there's another thing to actually put my family at risk and and yeah like you know my grandmother or my my uncle so I didn't want to take the risk unless I absolutely needed to but right now they, they seem more content and you know they're all like well you're gonna have to live your life I can't st- live in fear for, for a very very long time so they take the appropriate precautions but yeah I just bought a playstation so oh yeah <laughs> yeah so um I don't I don't think I should uh, tell me about yeah. that so was that like an impulsive lockdown purchase was it something that you had been thinking about for a long time so I actually have been thinking about it for a long time this is way back so when I went to do my master's I was like okay time to just put away all of that via so you can focus on your studies then I started working and so I was like okay time to focus and focus on your career and you don't have time to just stay indoors for two days straight uh not bathing or uh <laughs> just <laughs> sitting there playing yeah that, that's how I used to play <laughs> and it was, yeah and now uh, I even got to the stage where I actually bought games and then yeah. I would I would go to my friends houses to play them who had playstations so I so I couldn't actually stay overnight uh or or like i would have to go home at a reasonable time so, yeah. did you fall down again i just dropped my phone i don't know wait can you still hear me yeah yeah perfectly fine okay, okay. Great, great great i thought i thought i lost you there <laughs> so, um, yeah when did you so yeah when did you buy it sorry how many months? Um, into how many weeks into lockdown or days? <laughs> so so days. <laughs> uh, it was days. Maybe even hours. <laughs> I was just like, so this is probably the perfect time. So I ordered it and then went down to my high street and just bought all the games. <laughs> and then yeah, that was it. I bought all my favorite games and I was like, this is the perfect time because I can't socialize because I feel like when you start working, you kind of divvy up your time and so there's like family time uh, time with your friends time for yourself but time for yourself has to be like usually the, the healthier self-care stuff and so now going into lockdown it's a bit like well socializing time is definitely going to be cut out and yeah I switch off work and then I would just sit there and play because I live at home and it's not helpful because you know it does genuinely feel like you're regressing sometimes especially if my mum's like 10 p.m 
you know what what are you doing you're acting like like how you were when you were 16 just turn off and go to sleep and I'm like okay but just I'm on this level I just need to finish this <laughs> so but this is this is probably yeah why I'm why I'm still single um but uh, <laughs> yeah so but I, I don't regret it at all like it's been a while and I, I like playing Assassin's Creed or Fallout few other games uh like open world things so things that you can actually interact with yeah so i am a little bit addicted which is why i said to you that i cannot wait for your brother's game so i fight because that that seems a bit like assassin's creed so i am excited for that yeah so am i so i'm gonna i'm gonna take this opportunity for a shameless plug-in again tales of wagadu <laughs> so oh no the wagadu chronicles that was my mistake forget about what i said before that was the first name that had copyright issues. So not that one. <laughs> uh, yes, like stay tuned because there will be some more coming up soon. But yeah, no, I'm super excited for that as well. I mean, they're a startup. So I really hope they manage to get to the point they're planning to by the end of this year. So I'll keep you posted. <laughs> so your experience of lockdown so far has been in your family home, right? And I think one thing that I find quite key in terms of discussing the experience of the lockdown is that it varies so much based on people's situation. And, you know, if, if they're with family as opposed to friends or partners and uh, and also where um, self-isolating, if they are a house, if it's a flat, if it has an outdoor space. So you're saying that you have a garden, which I think is amazing. Do you feel like you've been spending a lot of time there? I mean, I know that the garden has become the social indicator, let's say, of how people have been experiencing the pandemic, being locked at home. It, obviously, it's a big generalization, but I do, I do see the point, especially when it comes to central London or London in general, which remains the most expensive city in the UK and one of the most expensive cities in the world still. Um, so yeah, so do you feel like that? made a difference so i'm going to be completely truthful some weeks i'll probably spend uh, a little bit of time if it's, if it's warm then i'm definitely out there and uh reading i did spend a little bit of time trying to garden i say trying because i did try to ever grow this avocado seed it did it did not work it, <laughs> it, 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 was, it was not happening actually so my dad was successful but i really? accidentally yeah yeah um, so there's actually something sprouting from the seed but I think I might have actually killed it, so I committed a crime and not told him because I was just, you know, trying to uncover it. And I was like, shit, it kind of just like... Okay, oh. you need to stay away from the garden, maybe. <laughs> um, but I was also like pruning the trees as well. So we have a few trees. We actually have a banana tree. Oh. In our, so some of the dishes that we prepare, we use banana leaves for that. Uh, so like a few like, desserts or... Um, um, <laughs> Wait, it's that it's that new kid. <laughs> <laughs> wow, he has definitely learned how to scream. <laughs> this is short. This is short, but usually it's just like oh, funny. Sorry, it's, it's good that you actually warned me before time. <laughs> yeah. So I know that <laughs> the listeners are listening in, and I just see someone appear, someone screaming in the background. It's like, no, it's completely fine. It's just our neighbours that had to scream recently, and uh, that's the reason why. Okay. Uh, um, yeah. So I haven't, like, I haven't used the garden as much as I guess some some people have. I know a lot of people use this time like garden. My 
garden isn't actually that big so that's another thing so I, I do understand the point that you were saying about how the garden's almost an indication of your wealth it's definitely a privilege so I will say that it's definitely a privilege my garden's not big enough so I actually go to the park but the park is a bit dodge uh so if, uh, yeah in, in the morning sometimes you can see people pissing and uh taking <laughs> So it was a bit like, oh, no, thanks. But it, it, it got a little bit better during quarantine. So, you know, I feel like even they stayed away. And uh, the birds had their hearts back. It was great. Uh, so I did start running for a little bit. And I guess this has really, really made me reassess and a lot of people, especially our generation. Like when they buy their new homes that maybe they either want to buy outside of London where there's actually a bit more space. There are a few places or, or further where you can actually get a house with a garden. Whereas the new build flats in London, they are, <laughs> you'll be lucky. You don't have a garden. Let's be serious. You, nope. you <laughs> uh, the more central you live, the less space you have. I mean, again, generalizing, I'm sure there are people out there that can afford to have big spaces central as well. But for like, young professionals, that's definitely quite difficult and very expensive and not necessarily worth it if you're planning to have a family here. So yeah, yeah. I agree. And I think that's definitely one effect that the pandemic has been having on our age group and young professionals I think there's definitely been a big re-evaluation in terms of lifestyle or at least aspirational lifestyle and what really matters and what people want to invest on and I, I think the trend now is for young professionals and um, young parents to buy outside of the city and just commute and then obviously with the whole working from home um I don't want to say revolution because the truth is it's been happening gradually over the last couple of years. But obviously with the advent of the pandemic, you know, there's been this drastic change in terms of how we work. And I guess employers as well have realized that you don't necessarily need to have all of your employees physically present at the office. That's, I mean, it's something that a lot of us already knew. Let's be honest. It's not like us employees knew that. A long time ago, <laughs> you know, <laughs> if they wanted some advice, they could have asked me. <laughs> I would have definitely felt a case for that. Uh, but and so would have another like few million people. But I, I find that in a way fairly exciting. The fact that now there is no excuse for employers and all of a sudden it's become evident that obviously now necessity, but hopefully in future in the future as a choice, employees can work remotely and still be productive if not be more productive as you said before the time that you used to spend traveling and commuting is now time that you actually invest in your job so and I think if we could eliminate that problem of that daily commute um then oh there he goes again <laughs> he's just had a shot every time he starts screaming oh wow <laughs> But yeah, sorry, that was a long digression just to say that it makes sense that young people would want to live in the outskirts. I, I don't really see that much of a benefit in living in central London anymore, especially if if you're getting older and if you're planning to start a family. So have yeah. you, you've been thinking of, of buying a property. Have you been considering now buying outside? So yeah, I, I almost bought a property last year um, and I backed out of it because I wasn't too sure and it was like one of the one of the first properties I went to see 
only in hindsight did I realize actually that was an amazing bargain to get but oh no um, yeah the the other side of that is it's not something that my parents know too much about so like growing up I kind of had to teach myself to do certain things and apply for certain things which made it a little bit difficult and but you know it's always going to be a process like a learning process so that's why I'm not so hard on myself I acknowledge that now I know what it is that I should be looking for what the right questions are so I'm totally cool with that but this period has definitely led me to question whether I want to get a property in London it's definitely something that my mum has just asked me a few other people have asked me and you can definitely get a bit more for your money uh, and more space outside of London but the other thing is buying properties in London is actually quite difficult to do by yourself so it's almost geared towards couples and if you are buying by yourself that's that's really that's really expensive really difficult like uh, unless you saved up enough money like a crazy amount of money and you're able to negotiate a good price. Mm-hmm. So definitely I do see advantages in looking for places outside of London. The other thing is like, so my, my family are actually looking to move that side of London because they've kind of had enough. And so they want a bit more outside space. And that's purely the reason why. So yeah, I, I think it's going that way. But huge but is that my lifestyle is is in London and I'm so accustomed to that and my friends are in London, and the things I like to do, and even work. And I know it sounds really strange, but like I did enjoy coming into the office as well, because I am a person who needs routine at the same time. And so having lost that routine has been very difficult at the moment. And so it's quite, <laughs> there he goes again. <laughs> you know, on my end, it sounds like a whistle sometimes. <laughs> the pitch is so high. <laughs> sounds like someone is whistling. <laughs> yeah. Is it a baby or is it boy or girl? I think it's actually the little girl. <laughs> oh, girl. Sorry. <laughs> sorry. Yeah, girl. I feel like she's about six. Yeah. What? So, yeah. Imagine having to hear this uh, when you're hungover. No. I'm very hungover today. I don't envy you. <laughs> <laughs> it's I'm just thinking six years old that's quite old for like being that annoying <laughs> yeah he's not enjoying lockdown that's uh that's what that is that's uh, a good point actually I, I can't really say much about that true because parents have been faced with that now new situation of kids being locked indoors and going absolutely crazy so true I forgot about that so yeah I take it back poor kids maybe you know he's just going through something <laughs> yeah Cheap. yeah we can that. <laughs> so yeah we're talking about living outside London and you were saying that your family is thinking of moving out but your lifestyle is in London and I yeah. can really 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 relate to this and it, it just reminded me of a video that I watched this morning on I think it was on YouTube a video by The Economist and they were talking about this whole working from home revolution I mean, I, I was personally researching uh, the inequalities and trying to see if there is some data that's come out of this lockdown so far in terms of who's had the privilege to work from home versus, you know, people that haven't been able to do that. And it's such an intersectional conversation, which I guess we can get it into in a second. But one interesting point that this video was focusing on was that before the Industrial Revolution, working was very 
dissimilar from that sort of nine to five pattern. And part of that was because workers and were, were paid in terms of what they produced as opposed to how much time they employed working on something or working on a project. And then with the Industrial Revolution, time became a commodity. So all of a sudden it was actually how many hours are you spending working as opposed to what are you producing? And then now they're saying that with the advent of the internet, there's been a shift back to sort of that pre-industrial mentality of focusing on the actual productivity of a worker as opposed to the amount of time spent uh, working Mm -hmm. which I find really interesting but at the same time there's obviously that bias of the fact that this applies mainly to um, highly skilled jobs I don't really like using that term that much but let's just say well what are considered knowledge-based jobs and the truth is the percentage of population that's in that is a minority and then within that mainly men but also what was interesting and what I was getting at, which was, I took it from very far, I don't know, <laughs> it's like quite a digression, was to say that there are a lot of other jobs which are considered lower skilled jobs that revolve around highly skilled workers commuting into the office. And some of the examples that we're bringing in were, I don't know, yoga instructors or personal trainers or hairstylists uh, or so these kind of professions that revolve around these people spending money to access these services and doing so when they're on their way back from work or during the lunch break and obviously the food and beverage industry as well. And I realize I'm touching on, on a lot of things, but I was thinking this is a good point because sure, it's great that we're working from home, but first of all, who is working from home? And we'll get to that. It's the whole question in terms of who's been able to do that, but how is working from home affecting other people's jobs, people that can't afford to work from home because the nature of their job prevent them from doing so. And so I keep on thinking, yeah, great, working from home, love it. But then truth is that has some repercussions too. So it, it for example, benefits certain women because um, one common argument that I've heard is definitely really positive for moms, for example, because they can save time on their commute and spend more time with their kids, for fathers. But the reality of it is that a lot of women that have jobs that are people-facing jobs, client-facing jobs, and that's why you see this disproportionate um, number of women working in those jobs, something like a, I don't know, a receptionist or so these kind of jobs um, are heavily female-retained jobs. And these are jobs that cannot exist during lockdown. So a, a higher percentage of women have lost their jobs or have their jobs on hold during this pandemic and then there's a small percentage of women like ourselves for example that have jobs that we can carry out uh, with our laptops from home so it's very 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 tricky to generalize and at the same time when you're talking about having that lifestyle in London the truth is most of this lifestyle is dictated by the fact that people move around all the time and so and this is another thing that was mentioned on this piece is that if this remains a permanent reality, it could alter sort of urban planning of a city and the way services are developed around it and the function it has. Uh, and I guess one of the effects, as they said, is that people would move out. Things would be a bit more decentralised. But then this sounds all great in terms of even environmental terms. Like, you know, obviously the city would be, the air would be less polluted, there'd be less cars coming into the city. But then all of these people that have, based their life and their jobs 
around that movement, the human influx. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, how would they do that? They would probably have to adapt too. And some industries are doing that already uh, outside the IT comms and and these, let's call them highly skilled jobs, which is banking, which is services, which is again, policy and so on. So I don't really know where I was going with this, but I guess what I wanted to say is that my question that stemmed out of all of this and also based on what you said about the London lifestyle is, is it going to be worth it living in a big city going forward or at least is it going to be the equivalent of what it was before because part of the reason I got my flat in central London is exactly for that reason that you mentioned my friends are in London my uh, daily activities my social life is in London I absolutely love that I love how buzzing the city is and I love the, that it's a cultural hub and I really want to feel fully immersed in it and I want to be able to access exhibitions and you know all these services and have them at my fingertips so it was very important for me to live central because I did that and I sacrificed space for example but I guess with this pandemic space became so important and you know all of a sudden you start questioning that and you're like well what if you know offices are not going to be as pivotal to businesses as they were before so it's it's funny because they refer to um, offices as very expensive artifacts in a way, which I thought was super interesting because obviously offices constitute one of the biggest expenses um, for companies, uh, for, for most organizations. So the, the rents are insanely high. And I found another study that was saying that the cities with the highest um, office rental prices per square meter are... Uh, Hong Kong, which is like the most expensive in the world, followed by Beijing, followed by London. London's like third most expensive in terms of office space in the world. And then New York. And then I can't remember what the other ones were. And and obviously not renting these spaces could, could sort of translate into significant savings for companies and organizations. So there's so many things. Sorry, I've thrown out so many things out there. I realize I've just like gone off tangent. I've, I've got a few key words. So yeah. I can remember. <laughs> And I think, I guess my takeaway from all of this is that our society revolves around so many habits that we have as urban workers that might change now. And it it leads me and a lot of institutions, a lot of other people to just question how that's going to work going forward. And I personally don't think we're going to necessarily go back exactly to where we were before, because I don't think that's possible simply for the fact that this percentage of, let's call them highly skilled workers, have now experienced that working from home culture and they've realized that it is possible. Anyway, sorry. So that was very long and a lot of thoughts that I had on my mind. <laughs> There's but, a lot of thoughts. Yeah, they're really, they're actually really, really good points. Um, and I hadn't considered too much about like the link to the Industrial Revolution. It's really funny because I've been reading a lot about that, but I'll, I'll get to that. Um, so a few things. So actually, before Labour came into power, like Britain uh, had a strong manufacturing economy, and then under Labour, it shifted towards a strong service uh, economy. And so I don't think that's going to change. And like you said, it. I think cyber IT comms, it's going to have an enabling effect on how we work going forward. This is definitely at a stage where we evolve how we work. 
So for those like highly skilled jobs, I'll take that in two parts because when you were talking about this, it just made me think about like my parents and my brother and I. So my mum and dad, they work in low skilled jobs. So very working class. So my mum works in Tesco's as a cashier and my dad works in a factory and they've had to go to work. It's not something they can, like you said, work from home. They don't have the luxury of doing that. And I do think that, uh, I mean, I don't have the stats in front of me, but I, I, I can say with some degree of confidence that I think people who are in those public facing roles tend to disproportionately be people from BAME backgrounds or at least low socioeconomic classes. And then the other side, you've got myself and my brother. So I can work from home unless I really need to come into the office. Uh, thankfully, that's not been the case. Whereas my brother, he is a doctor, so uh, a junior doctor, so he still has to go to work. And he he kind of had to work in A&E quite a lot as well. So he did some intense, long hours. And the way that kind of also affects, the also respect that you get kind of varies. Because I, I think, yes, undoubtedly, you know, NHS workers are heroes. And yes, we should praise them and uh, recognize the efforts that they've made. But you should also look at service people like my mom, like who, ha- who have to go and work in grocery stores. And, and the amount of abuse that they get is just actually shocking, where some people think that because someone is servicing you, that they're beneath you and that they are always right and you must do everything for them and anything less than that if you're not in servitude for them it for some reason just aggravates them and so definitely from her side of things and she's been really sad because a few times she'll come home crying because someone's like spoken to her in a really disgusting manner and yeah and people like especially with how people are giving um like the the instructions they give to people to stay uh, and how they use the stores as well. Um, a lot of, uh, people aren't really happy with that. Some people aren't happy with that. And the way that they show their frustration is usually taken out on more of those customer-facing roles. And I think it's a little bit unfair. And they sure as hell don't get paid enough. And they're also one of the first jobs to get cut, especially at the moment, as you've seen that so many of the company, larger companies, including John Lewis, have announced cuts to so many of their jobs and closing down so many of their stores. Yeah, so I I do think it's going to be particularly tough for them going forward because they're not going to generally benefit from this evolved way of working that the high-skilled workers would. Everyone in this house is a key worker so I'm still a key worker, my brother's a key worker, my mum and my dad are key workers, but each of our experiences are different. Like my dad, he has to work night shifts during the pandemic. They cut down the night shifts because of production. So it's a manufacturing factory. So it means that if demand is low, then obviously they can afford to do that. But recently with the shops going back and ETS to go back, some places like those factories are a little bit more like well-equipped because they have the equipment, almost like PPE equipment, uh, yeah. to stay safe. Because that's the kind of safety culture they have there. But some of like the the stores, they're not well equipped to do that. Hospitals, I mean, let's let's be serious. Um, <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, I'm just about. <laughs> yeah. So that's probably what I had to say about that split. Well, what what was the experience? having key workers in the house um, throughout the pandemic and from a practical standpoint how did you guys deal with that 
how did you find a routine that worked for everyone? Um, I think it was made easier because of my brother. And so it's very clear cut from a medical point of view, what you need to do, regardless of what people might advise. Um, and so he was really, really, really careful because in the beginning, so he was really sick. So for two weeks, my brother was quarantining. And I mean, we were taking it so seriously. So we would leave food outside of his room in a plate, in a paper plate, just leave it there and then go, I'll wait for him to open the door and he'll collect it. <laughs> so it was just like, we had a pet in the house. That's what it felt like. <laughs> but um, yeah, and no, he, in all seriousness, he did have a difficult time because he only leave his room to use the bathroom and so we have a bathroom upstairs and downstairs and we're fortunate in that sense because he was able to say well this bathroom will be mine no one use it and so I don't want like anyone else contaminated so go downstairs and have a separate one so we were able to do it like that and you know two weeks went by and it was fine he also couldn't actually go to work during that time um, and they are they're actually quite strict anyway so if you've got the flu of your sick and you have to call in and they'll they'll say that yes you you can't come in especially if he's working in like a and e or uh, the intensive care you know which is what he's like going to be specializing in so they take extra precautions so my, my brother was fine um but like even when he comes back from work he'll leave his jacket his clothes his like not clothes his jacket his shoes and his bag in the front porch so he doesn't bring it into the house Wow. And um, yeah, and he has a surgical mask anyway, so yeah. he's got he's got all that. My my parents they're a little bit different because they're not like coming into direct contact with sick people. The way yeah. that my brother, his risk is higher. And at the same time, it's really interesting actually because like I asked him this question of, do you not? How do you feel about the fact that the NHS workers, especially the fame workers, they uh, they're the ones who are dying. It's disproportionately affecting them. Does that make you fear for your safety? Like, what does that mean for mm. you? It was really interesting to hear his response because he was just like, I just want to help people and, you know, that, that that's what I need to do. And I can't just, I have, basically he's got these skills and he can't just sit at home and, and live in fear and not try and help. And and assessment of NHS workers from like doctors to nurses to the janitors, like, people are like everyone uh, is there and I hope after this that they get paid enough and they get better like a work-life balance uh, I really hope to see that so let's see uh, I guess if I knew you'll be all joked about it but like if any if I got sick it's not it's not because I have a risk it's because yeah. someone in this house uh, <laughs> So yeah, so so everyone was pretty quite cautious, and partly because my brother was there, he was able to be like, "This is what we need to do, um, and this is how you need to like go outside and and um, wear masks or wear gloves, and always sanitize your hands, always like wash your hands when you're outside, um, and, and stuff like that." And that's also because like, we couldn't go see my grandmother; she's just around the corner. Um, but we also need to give her food and like make sure that she's looked after. She she lives in like um, an old people's home as well, so she is around people. And and her mental health is like they don't really feel it's like a grandparent's generation. Yeah, having people in the in the home like die so many people that's got to happen. 
debt like that that would have had an impact as well um and my uncle like he he had cancer but you know he's in remission now but it's also it wasn't that long ago so we just had to be a little bit more careful yeah so it's all, all that to think about my brother used to take by the way he takes public transport so my mum's language just drives dad drives uh as well to work but uh my brother has to take public transport because it's in like central london and we are in the east of london i myself took public transport for the first time the week before last um how was it (laughs) so i think it's definitely an underwhelming experience yeah (laughs) um the people were wearing masks some people weren't wearing it properly it needs to be over your nose, people. Otherwise, it doesn't count. <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah. it's not that hard. We've seen so many pictures by now of people wearing masks. I mean, get it right. <laughs> yeah, my favorite are the people that just like, I have seen one or two people just like over their eyes. <laughs> Why? Come on. Um, but yeah. So um, it was fine. Everyone kept their distance, uh, but that was two weeks ago. Um, since then, my brother takes the tube regularly. So, and he also sees his friends, and most of them work in NHS. And so, for them, it's like we're, we're all taking the same risk. So, yeah. we might as well just see each other. And they do go out outdoors. So, I would say going into London is not so much a problem, depending on what time, because you usually go quite early. But if uh, coming back, now that's a different story because rush hour, which now kind of has changed because everyone's got the same thinking that let's leave, you know, one hour earlier or two hours earlier. Um, and actually there's a huge rush of people because they've all got the same idea. People at the normal 5, 6 p.m. as well, that, you yeah, know, that still exists. So I don't know how that's going to be managed. And I don't think it will be managed, to be honest. It's just going to be accepted uh, especially in in the next like couple of months when things start normal, yeah, and it's it's particularly people who are in those like who spoke about low skilled workers who are expected to come into work. It was different because government was mandating certain like industries not to call them into work, but once there's an, now there's an you know restrictions of ease. There's a there's more of an expectation for certain people to come into work and they can't do anything. They can't push back on that, uh, especially if they are from vulnerable groups of people who are shielded reasons. So it depends on the employer and how they're able to kind of tailor the future working uh, arrangements to specific people based on their circumstances. But the definite positive of all of this is, we did say earlier that it actually opens up like recruitment so hopefully things won't be so london-centric and you'll definitely have people working from across the if they don't need to do the daily commute but we also need to make sure that every workplace uh makes sure that there isn't like a two-tier approach or a divide between when we do go back to the office the group of people who are choosing to go back to the office and the group of continuing remote working so that i think is going to be the challenge uh, and making sure that that those gains that we lost in diversity and inclusion we don't lose any more of them, and we we do our best to get some of those gains back as well. Yeah, this is like t- 
totally off topic, but it's because you mentioned the Industrial Revolution. Because I was reading actually something about Britain's Industrial Revolution and how it was built on India's deliberate deindustrialization when they colonize India. And it's also right now, as you know, that we're, we're having this talk about race and colonization and the effects of that today as well. And that has been a bit of a tiring talk at the same time. And it's also because place, there isn't much diversity. So those talks are facilitated or expected to be facilitated by people of colour. They're supposed to carry that burden or it's, it's a bit draining. Uh, we spoke about it, you know, didn't we? Via voice notes. <laughs> Many voice notes expressing our frustration. So, um, yeah, no, I completely agree. I completely agree. And um, without going into too much detail. Yeah, I've definitely experienced that firsthand, as you know, <laughs> you know what I'm referring to. Yeah, uh, but it's been really useful actually to have uh, to have you and Marie uh, and a few other people as almost like my safe havens where I can just like unload. And there's this other responsibility on us to to be able to better articulate our point in a way that's more relatable or digestible for other people to make it a little bit easier. And because there aren't many people of colour that, like I said, that sometimes we take those roles at the same time because we're there and so we feel a sense of responsibility to, to, to do that because if, in our absence who would do that who would do it properly who would do it genuinely because yes you need allies but you also need those allies to be genuine and do what we expect them to do so this week was intense because I did about three different diversity talks back to back and I hadn't realized and individually I have the energy to do that but collectively when you look back at it by the end of the week I was just like completely shattered part of this uh, it was important for me to do that work because I have seen that actually <laughs> there are some pretty toxic views out there and I mentioned this before, but some people, especially with the issue about like taking down statues and people will say that's erasure of history. And I just think that's, that's just ha, taking down. <laughs> Find the words to define that one. <laughs> taking yeah. down a few statues that, by the way, statues are there to glorify people of slave traders who, yeah. if, if you have an issue with that, then you're not seeing those slaves as actual like pe people saw them as commodities and so you're saying that's okay and that's not okay and like the issue of reparations I get it actually if you were genuinely counting the the numbers of people that they've been killed and tortured and the mental harm as well as the physical harm as well as the economic harm you would not be able to pay that debt so fine that's fine it's more of the, the symbolism that actually apologize for it number two educate so put that in your curriculum so people are taught about that because i'm sorry i don't need to know about like battle of hastings and like henry the eighth's like many wives <laughs> over, right. over <laughs> why do they stress that so much i feel like everyone knows that it's such an important fact according to our history books you yeah. need to know about his wives <laughs> yeah it'll probably come up uh, for uh, the british nationalization exams that they have yeah yeah apparently it's one of the classic <laughs> questions that and like the other questions about very obscure battles and names of forts in the uk yeah 
I did I did um look at the questions just for fun yeah no, it is true because like uh part of this is two things like the first thing is that there was like YouGov poll that was out a couple of years ago I think where the respondents were asked it was the British Empire a good thing and I think more than 50 percent of people said yes and I was quite shocked by that because because like how, that that clearly shows to me that actually we are in need of that education to know exactly what happened we need that because in order to kind of know where you're going in the future you need to know what happened in the past like for, like for instance like India's share of of the world trade economy when Britain arrived at its shores was like 27 percent and but by mm. the time that they left it was down to below two percent because colonization and Britain's empire was governed for the benefit of Britain uh, and people don't think about that and they don't think about industrial revolution being like this systematic destruction in favor of Britain's industries conquering other markets there are a few things basically I've been reading this book about colonization in India yeah so how the textile industry is just one but how they did that through like violence um how they did that through tariff legislation as well because a lot of people say well we gave you trains or we gave you these opportunities. And I've had that. I've had that thrown back at me at one point that, you know, we, we gave you trains. It just reminded me of one lecture. I can't remember if it was a lecture or seminar. It was about colonization. And the professor asked, but what was one of the positive effects for the colonists? To be fair, we had spent like about an hour talking about the atrocities of it. And then that was towards the end of the class. And then I think no one really had an answer for that, which I guess was emblematic. No one had suggestions. And then he said, well, languages, <laughs> you know, they had access to French and English, you know, and that in turn gave access to the wider economy and global economy and blah, blah, blah. But I was just thinking, I'm sorry, how is, is that noteworthy? Do you see what I mean? After we've spoken yeah. for an hour, it's like, <laughs> first of all, they had languages before that anyway. So it's not like people... <laughs> <laughs> but it was like yeah you know all of a sudden they give them access to a wider pool of jobs I'm not quite sure that's how it automatically happens but you know and I don't know it's one of those things that stayed with me I mean I have to say I don't remember too much about my lectures in university but there's certain moments that just stayed with me and that was one of them anyway. that's really interesting I'm really funny really really funny languages okay but yeah so I, I think you make a really valid point about that selective approach to history because I feel like statistics are usually embraced and used for arguments throughout history and when it comes to colonialism we have so much documented and we have actual numbers that we can gather from official documents it's it's a very well documented practice in fact it's especially British is so well documented that <laughs> without going into too much detail there's been a few instances in history in which the government has essentially issued for these documents to be destroyed uh, yeah. in, so I mean without going into that because perhaps those were isolated incidents which then resulted in losing a lot of valuable information but when it comes also to that argument of reparations there is concrete data that we can refer to for that as well. As I said, people were treated as commodities. So but I guess one of the things that resulted out of that is that all of it was tracked and all of it was 
kept in check and people were making money out of it. And so uh, same as any other commodity, these were just quantified and sold and, yeah. and, and all of it was registered. So in a way, if we want to talk about reparations, that would be fairly straightforward, really. And no one is saying it has to be 100% accurate, but we have the data to, um, you know, yeah. to address that without having to just guess. I mean, I get it when you, when you refer to doing something symbolically such as an apology. I think that's very, very important. That would be a good person. But the and reality that doesn't is that, happen. Yeah. But then the thing is, like, taxpayers' money has been redirected for decades, if not a century, yeah. to reparations towards former slave owners. So if yeah. that was, yeah, and I, let's talk about that. You know, that, that's almost like a slap in the face. I mean, we're here debating if there should be any kind of compensation for these countries that are essentially messed up now as a result of colonialism. But then we're okay with the fact that we've been using taxpayers' money to pay off families and generations of families of slave owners. Um, yeah. yeah. <laughs> anyway, sorry, I digress. Yeah, but it's not only in this country. So, like in the country, the countries that were colonized, they effectively paid for their own oppression. And you can trace like many of today's problems, like racial and ethnic tensions, in those countries were rooted or created like from their from their colonization. Let's, let's be honest. So, some of the people who went over to India and some of the other colonized countries, when they came back, the wealth that they made was from that. Some of them actually bought parliamentary seats. And so, <laughs> so there's a shift in power here. And especially when you look at it from like an intergenerational level as well, and it just like that wealth gets passed on. So yeah, I think, like you said, all the, the statistics of facts are out there. So I would like to see not only it taught in the curriculum, but I would like to see a museum. We have tons of different types of museums. We have the Imperial War Museum. But yeah. We don't have one on colonization aside from, I think, there's uh, yes, like one trips. in Liverpool. Yeah, there's a museum in Liverpool. Oh. But in London, okay. yeah, because uh, Liverpool is one of the main slave ports oh, as well. So, yeah, I, I would like to see that. Because as long as I have to live a reality shaped by the effects of oppression and cause to my ancestors, I'm going to be holding certain... <laughs> Well, society to accountable for for the oppression and pain caused by by this. So, at the very least, introducing it into the curriculum and you know having a museum and actually acknowledging and apologizing that that's the start. So, uh, but yeah, so that's really heavy for a Sunday. Uh, but, <laughs> it is no, but cool. I think I it's funny like every and I guess also for whoever has listened to my previous episodes, it's like every person I've spoken to. In every episode I've recorded, there is a running thread in terms of questioning education. That's one running thread. That it's, and, and again, it's not something I planned. It just happens to be the conversations that we're having. And that was part of the reason why I started the podcast. Because I thought, okay, interesting stuff. Let me just record it and share it with people. And I think that's so significant because at the end of the day, we are so keen on being objective when it comes to the sciences, when it comes to education when it comes to grading students when it comes to knowledge and and the, the one thing we're saying essentially is just let's be objective about all historical periods all historical phenomenon and it's in the past I'm sorry we shouldn't be scared to talk about this it, these are things that happened as I mentioned before they've been documented as you said there are so many countries that are testimony of what's been done and their economy and their social state 
and their society has been molded so undeniably by these events that denying objectivity when it comes to that part of history is also denying the history of these countries and it's also denying in a derivative sense a certain type of dignity to these people because you know the, that narrative oh this is a poor country and these are poor people mm, what, what does that mean like these are just people and they happen to be in the situation because xyz happened so since we're so keen to break down how coronavirus happened and you know for example and you know how how the virus is constructed and how the virus is transmitted can't we just do the same with history and economy i mean we all know these things are all intertwined there is no politics without economy we know that i mean especially us having studied what we've studied and you know looking into social sciences or political sciences and it's just it just feels very stupid to me and it feels very ignorant. And I think we've all come to a point where we are just fed up. And I say we referring to people that are just really, in my opinion, using their brain <laughs> and applying it <laughs> unconditionally to everything they approach in life. I think I'm just so tired of seeing this like selection going on. Yeah, let's look at data here, but Let's go and retrieve documents from the Roman Empire and see how things work then. But we can't go and retrieve documents from 200 years ago, 150 years ago. And that has to be a topic. I mean, there are people that made a career out of like looking for freaking Roman relics. Why can't we just go into archives that are there? They're available. It's legible English. <laughs> we can just go on there and then just, fun play, just fact check. Not fact check, that's not what I mean fact check <laughs> so it's very exhausting because what are we discussing you know and I think that's part of the reason why lockdown has been so tense and so in intense for a lot of us it's just because all of these debates that have been bubbling for years and years and decades and if not all of a sudden people have been like indoors nothing else to do than read and talk and also I think and this would be interesting to ask perhaps someone that had to homeschool their kids I wonder how that panned out as well I wonder if all of a sudden parents had the time to go through their kids material and I wonder if there's been any sort of effect uh, for parents that have started really looking into the material that the kids are being taught and have been asked to, to know and to learn and mm. who knows maybe homeschooling has been an opportunity for certain parents to put their stamp <laughs> their kids education I hope so I don't know but then it shouldn't fall on a parent anyway. I think a parent can do a bit, but schooling institutions, I mean, that's their job. They need to teach your kids history. They need to teach them how the system we live in works. It's, sorry. <laughs> I'm done. <laughs> but they're really, really good points. I'm actually, I love, I actually enjoy having these debates because uh, I'm learning at the same time. And it's also with people who are actually quite like-minded uh, as well. <laughs> you're not denying that this this didn't happen which is uh, there are some people who do do that who yeah but we're not going to get into that but <laughs> a few things is like so homeschooling my aunt is a teacher and she's had to teach her kids at the same time and like teach classes as well I've actually had to 
help out with the homework and teach them as well and it, it's been interesting because <laughs> I look at what they're learning and I'm like okay well this is so many like so many fun facts great it's all remotely done but there's actually disparities we're almost like exacerbating existing disparities during this moment and that's something that I touch on at work as well not only are, are we doing that but actually we're creating new disparities between groups as well but So you're going to get some kids that their parents aren't able to help them at home or help with their homework. And especially those parents who actually are frontline workers, so they have to go and work at the same time. And so when some of these kids, especially from uh, poorer areas, go back into school, you're going to have some kids doing really well um, and some schools doing really well and some schools not doing really well. And that actually does impact the next stage of their life. And that's one thing that I'm really fortunate that you know, my mom sometimes would, as soon as I came back from school, would have to sit me down and I would be doing homework for two, three hours after that. And, and my times. Really loud, but it was, I, I appreciate it now because looking back, our parents have told us to work twice as hard because you're going to need twice more effort to really to have a normal life right? to not struggle. So I appreciate that. But it does almost feel like you don't have time to just breathe you can't, you don't have time to just sit you have to keep going you have to keep striving you have to keep doing that because that moment that you take that like five minutes of breathing time that will have an impact it will delay your progression of where you want to be and especially for people like I don't have a safety net that my parents aren't well off and so I can't always have their help as well because they've never gone to university or schools or you know uh, a levels and so it's almost like a new space to navigate so my cousins you know, they're very lucky that their parents can help them through that and they understand the importance and they will actually sit with them and do that. Actually, I, I spent some time with my cousins yesterday. <laughs> they were like, you know, oh, we still have to do twice as much as homework. And I don't see why I need to do that because other people in my class aren't doing it. And I had to like sit there and explain that. And I've, I've taken the approach that I'm not going to lie to them. I'm yeah. not going to sugarcoat it because I don't want them to go into something oblivious and that might be really harsh and some people will say no they don't need to know about that they don't need to know about racism they don't need to know about the struggles but actually I think it is important because I don't want them to be caught off guard and I want them to know that actually it's not about you it's about them I think I've said this to you before but especially in the national security world that I almost have to like prove that I am just as loyal uh, just as resilient as my non-BAME colleagues. And I say that because I am a woman, I'm also bisexual, I'm also, uh, like I've got a bipolar disorder. And bipolar disorder, that used to make me so paranoid because I actually thought that I couldn't have a career in national security because that would be used to undermine my resilience uh, and also undermine my decision-making ability. Um, and and that's not a paranoia to some degree. So like I was really fortunate that I had a mentor who also had bipolar and told me actually we came out to each other. It was great uh, and, and it, it kind of debunked some of those myths. Um, like you have to go to certain like security procedures. So debunk the myths associated to that. And then the other thing is the resilience issue, uh, and that honestly depends on organization that you're working for and who you're working for and it's definitely a cultural issue because like in in national security 
you have to be available 24 7 there's this like culture that that kind of sets that expectation and you have to be resilient as well but there is definitely a drive at the moment on focus on mental health and how uh, like how important it is to look after your mental health which is great and it's definitely heading to a positive direction so I'm not going to dispute that but we do have a long way to go because I have been in some really suspicious (laughs) situations of bullying harassment discrimination where that 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 was used against me and it was a pretty shit situation to be in and it has made me slightly cautious I'm also cautious of people who they want to be seen to be doing something and their words are quite hollow so they'll act one way and then they'll say one thing and act it in another way I remember I was in a disciplinary almost uh, meeting because I had a medical appointment I scheduled it for 6 30 p.m uh, I left work uh, around like six and I was told that I needed to do better. Let me go back. I was told we really care about your mental health. It's oh, really important to us. And by the way, I hadn't taken a mental health appointment or appointment with my GP for a year. And that's a long time. And especially with the pressure that I had from work. And so me doing this was important that like, I go for this and they should have understood that. And firstly, they tried to pressure me into doing a disability assessment. And I said, well, I don't consider myself as being disabled. You can't force someone to do that. And so they were like, well, you've given us no choice then. Um, so the second approach was, we really care about your mental health, but you need to do some better horizon scanning and book your appointments when there aren't lots of things going on at work. And I was just like, are you, ki- are you kidding me? Um, and to be honest, like at that point, I don't know, like, I'm, I'm okay with it because I don't know what I know now. That I'm, yeah. I'm not going to be so hard on myself because I made those decisions based on the information that I had at that point. Yeah. But now I know what I would do in those situations uh, because that that is not okay. But like coming from people who are quite high up, I felt very much out of my control. I kind of felt like if I if I if I talked back, that this would then hurt my career. It's it's just a really weird space. Also, being in a space where it's just predominantly white middle class people, it, it yeah, it was it was a it was a really shit time. At, so there's a lot of swearing and I noticed that you actually do beep. <laughs> no, actually, I just beeped one uh, swear word for fun <laughs> with Naz. <laughs> and I just found it really funny because she was going on about students potentially intercepting the podcast regardless of the fact that there is no trace yeah. of her as it shouldn't yeah. be traceable to her. But then so I thought, OK, well, you know, just in case your students find you, we're going to like beep. <laughs> <laughs> no you can swear as much as you want um quite interesting to hear what you're saying because obviously you're saying that you have um you have this uh, chronic mental health condition and on top of that you work as i do and as most of us do work in an environment that is predominantly um older men middle-aged caucasian so it's not like you just have to deal with you know, with that mental health aspect, the environment, deeper say, can be hostile, regardless of the fact that you have um, a mental health condition that requires attention and management, so lifelong, I suppose, management. So in a way, 
your situation is not the same as the situation of say another employee that's the same age as you and that works in the same office so I think it's very important just to stress how experiences vary based on who you are and going back to the whole digression that we had before people probably always wonder why people bringing this in all the time race politics history it's just because you cannot separate these things these things define the daily experience a lot of us have everywhere at work where it defines our place in society and I think if we don't acknowledge that if you don't acknowledge that because you're privileged enough not to have to deal with that on a daily basis what's shifted now is the demand for attention and comprehension so if you can't relate to any of the things that, that we're saying and you just take that one step to listen and to acknowledge the fact that oh my god this person is the same age as me went to the same university has the same job title but actually her experience is so alien to me it's so different that's because it is you know it is and there are some factors that determine this this difference and we can break them down and we can talk about it and we can potentially overcome them and that's why all of these conversations are so important and are happening and people are insisting and people are insisting because it's their daily experience like I didn't plan any of the topics for the podcast rather than having just a generic one to start with like a conversation started but all of the conversations touch on the aspect society and history and there must be a reason for that it's not because we're all copying each other and we don't have anything better to talk about (laughs) (laughs) just because it defines our our experience and some people more than others some people's experiences affected more than other people's experiences based on where they grew up how they look like uh what what their education was and all of these things what access they had to to what and to who and it's just you know it's just the world we live in we can't just cherry pick aspects of society and just focus on that and think that that's going to be enough to define everyone's experience in regards to your your bipolar disorder how was it during lockdown was it a positive experience was it a negative experience was it kind of the same as it normally would be um i personally don't know that much about bipolar disorder so if my questions are stupid, just give me a shout. Yes. <laughs> no uh, so there's like there are mainly two types of bipolar disorder, type one and type two. Oh, mine's a bit weird. So I do suffer from uh, mania, um, well hypomania, and that's what I get treated for. So I would say that my experience has it's it's been a struggle. But sorry, uh, I'm so, gonna ask you again, being very yeah. ignorant. So can you explain to me how? the hypermania works in in a few words if that's possible if not I'll uh, so look so up on the internet on the mic <laughs> <laughs> so it's like an uh, elevated sense of being and some people m- might associate like yes you do have a lot of energy and they might think oh you know they're so creative and it, it, it's not like that uh, it's uh for me it's it's just being in this elevated sense almost like i'm not going to say illusions of grandeur but it, it does feel like I can do everything and anything. And you might think that in this state that I might want to be a bit more social, but actually <laughs> I feel like I'm so great and I, I want to spend more time with myself and it gets tiring. Think of it like being up here. So the be- this is not going to be great for, for your users because they can't see. But Yeah, so we're, way- we're gesticulating right now. So up here is like up like I don't know peak of a mountain yeah, or something top of the world 
Top of the world, so like mania is at the top, and then just below it, you've got hypermania, and then you've got normal in the middle, and then underneath that, you've got like depression uh, as well. Uh, and so type one are people who basically have experienced mania mm-hmm. um, uh, at least once. Type two are people who haven't experienced mania, but they have experienced like depressive episodes. Sorry, what's the difference between mania and hypermania? So uh, a mania is extreme form of hypermania. So that's... uh, There's just the spectrum in terms of how severe it is. So mania is like the absolute uh, extreme side of the spectrum, whereas hypermania is one step before. Yeah, exactly. I would have thought the opposite. Interesting. Just because the word hyper feels like, you know, it feels like a mania on steroids. Yeah. So I would have step. I always thought of hypermania as being above the mania. So that's interesting. I've just learned something new. <laughs> yeah, no, goodness, I thought the same thing way back then. So yeah. So what was the question? <laughs> so no. I've the question. <laughs> Sorry, I asked too many questions. And I asked you about lockdown. So how was it for you? Did it have an effect on you? If if, if it did, what kind of effect did it have? Um. Yeah. So uh, I alluded to a little bit in the beginning of. Uh, our session but I need a routine so people uh, to like manage their bipolar disorder they like some people I don't want to I also don't want to do a general like sweeping statement so of I'm course say it's not like your yeah like your experience yeah. is just probably shared by other people as well yeah we're the same so I would say that most people do need a routine to help them manage it so in the beginning before lockdown I uh, I didn't want to use medication Medication is great. I am not advising them. We are not a no vaccine. So it just depends on like what's best for individual people. In fact, I have encouraged some of my like friends to go on medication. It's about how you cope. So what your cope mechanisms look like. Um, so before lockdown, I was really fortunate because I've got a good a support network whether that's my friends or my family my family know and I'm very fortunate to have a brother who obviously is a doctor and even when I uh, I'll use this quite a lot but like when I came up to my mum about my uh, mental health as well she was really supportive she used to take me to my appointments as well because like at one point I just couldn't leave the house um, and she was amazing during that point of my life and would just help me out the house and drive me back and forth to the appointment so I didn't have to go anywhere else because I don't know why but I was just in this like state of fear this is a very very long time ago when I was like uh 20 years old or something so very young um it's very young oh yeah. um, it feels weird right like 20 years old very young <laughs> yeah those were the days <laughs> probably not but um, uh, I mean, our 30s are, like, much better. Uh, we yeah. know who we are by, by our 30s, and we're quite, like, unapologetic about that. So, yeah, looking forward to that. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, so, like, before I I had all these things in place and uh, I had to make regular exercise, I would, I would do a few, like, things to help me manage it. And also, like, I think journaling is really important. So, one, like, you know, I usually do a gratitude. I know it's super cheesy, um, but to help me just to be a bit more grateful and optimistic about what I have, especially if I'm going through these depressive uh, episodes, but also really important for me to document how I'm feeling. So okay. it, before I'm shifting from hypermania to depression, 
uh, up and down again. So I need to be constantly aware of my state of mind, like my emotions, basically. Mm-hmm. And then, like, okay, so if I'm if I'm sloping upwards, then I need to kind of change my response to to help me manage that. Um, and there's certain things at certain points that I won't do. So I might not drink as much if I'm like sloping downwards to mm-hmm. to a depressive episode. Some people think of mood swings and think, oh, that's so bipolar. I hate, I absolutely hate that when people say that because actually it's not, it's not something you experience in a day. That's, that's just mood swings. That's got nothing to do with being bipolar. It's actually, it's, it's a week long span. Yeah. So if you can think about how tiring that is to be kind of elevated for that long uh, and that's a lack of sleep that might be just like buying so much and, and doing so much at the same time, staying up. Um, and and also the people that you're around who have to kind of be around that as well. And that's really tough on them. I'm really fortunate with with my family that they're able to understand how to be there for me during that moment. And they're kind of like fine tuned against that as well. So they know why I'm acting that way and, and are able to help me, um, especially during the, the, the depressive episodes and because it's a bit more visible when it's in the extremes uh as well so uh like my especially if i'm in a depressive episode my parents will like buy me flowers and fresh flowers and always keep in my room and like small things like that um so before lockdown it was easier because i had all this in place but um so during lockdown it, it's been really difficult because i haven't been able to see my friends and kind of like have that routine of just waking up going to work or like doing certain like doing things outside of that and I've been I feel really like enclosed like encapsulated almost in my room um and um and I just like feel really out of control uh, and it does feel perpetual it's almost like I think the best way to like describe this is you just like open one door you're walking into another one you're walking into the same room over and over again it's just you're you're almost walking past different like ghosts of yourself at the same time because you've been in the same area in the same movements doing the same thing mm. um and it, it makes me a bit cagey I, I just I just don't like it um and so I force myself to like try and go for a run every week at least minimum it's it, it makes you a bit more comfortable to be in this almost bird cage um, yeah. and you need to like push yourself to go out and it might at first seem a bit overwhelming but you just have to go ahead and do that and it's easier it's definitely it feels a bit more overwhelming if I'm in like a depressive episode because you know like everyone's felt a depressive episode and they know how that feels and how they lack that energy to do certain things but definitely if I go on a run that helps my like mania and it helps my like um uh, helps me cope with my depression as well whether it's like getting energy out or like getting out for fresh air so um I've been trying to do a, a little bit more of that I've been trying to do a bit more journaling to help me acknowledge and be a bit more conscious of where I am and what I'm feeling and yeah it's a bit difficult if you're constantly having to reassess yourself and think oh am I doing this because I'm about to go upwards or am I doing this because this is me in a normal state so yeah it's it's no way to live if you keep questioning yourself 
like that. So I've tried not to do that so much, but still take every single day to meditate, to do a bit of yoga, to do uh, a bit more reading. Um, I love reading because it makes me feel like I'm living into another world. And it's, yeah. And I, I would say like, I, I should say that right now I am on medication and that's, that's the decision I made. Cause I was just like, okay, we're going into lockdown now. Uh, and okay. I, yeah, I need to, I need to be a bit more responsible um and um i did i made that decision to go uh back on medication so yeah so i've been doing that um and it has been helping um and there are like good and bad days but that's completely normal that's like everyone everyone has like good and bad days so yeah all in all it has been tough but um i i've had to put a few things in place to help me manage that a little bit more and a part of that is also a, a drive for me to do this more responsibly is also because of my career uh, because you're not judging your mental health that much is true that that's been debunked but you are judging how you cope with your mental health and that's okay that's fine I mean you wouldn't put big decisions related to national security in the hands of someone who wasn't doing that I think that's right but it just it it's basically a good thing for me because I, I have to be a bit more intentional about how I do that uh, and put a bit more effort into that. But yeah, so that was a long ramble about that. No, no, that's, that's really interesting. But I mean, it sounds like you've been very mindful and you've, you know, you, you've come to a point in your life where you know how to manage this and you're in a good place in terms of management, which I think it's a great achievement. Um, and this has been a challenging time for everyone, even people that do not have chronic mental disorders. I, I think I was reading a, a study um, a couple of days ago by the government, which you might have seen, I don't know, but uh, it was a survey that's been carried out during lockdowns over the last few months about mental health and how people in the UK have been coping with that. And it was saying that four people out of five had concerns about their own well-being throughout the lockdown and about 50% of people were concerned about their mental health and about 40% of that 50% was experiencing some sort of anxiety on a daily basis or has been because I guess a lot of us are still in the situation so I think it goes to show that it's been challenging for most people I would say for this half of the population so I can only imagine having that and then having to deal with with a chronic condition but then maybe the fact that you're more used to having these conversations around your mental health and management uh, perhaps that might have been an advantage during lockdown I mean you know what the problem is and you know what you need to do to manage it and as you mentioned in this case you said well medication helps you 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 planned for that to happen Whereas I think a lot of people were really caught off guard, people that generally don't think about their own mental health uh, or don't like to think of themselves as having high and lows, which we all experience. I mean, that's why, sorry, I keep on saying your condition, but I mean, we all have, I guess, a condition to a certain extent when it comes to mental health. We just have different states. And I think all of a sudden it's become a conversation, a mainstream conversation, like on the BBC every day. It's like mental health, mental health, which is great. But it's interesting to see how now it's on the agenda, on the top of the agenda all of a sudden, because these people that produce the news are affected as well. 
Whereas before I was kind of like, you know, the side column, like throw it in there every now and then, like, yeah, mental health, uh, you know, well, nice to have. yeah, exactly. So, um, yeah, I think that's been an interesting one. To me, what lockdown has done is it's just shifted conversations, uh, has just resulted in more significant conversations. Interestingly, because I, I said, I think in the first or in the second podcast that I thought it was going to have the opposite effect. Initially, when we got into lockdown, I thought, oh, my God, this is going to be like peak prime time in terms of just silly content, self-indulgent content, you know. <laughs> and I think that happened initially, but then it very quickly went <laughs> completely opposite direction. And I think all of us were a bit thrown off, but it happened for a good reason, because all of a sudden everyone was home with their own thoughts no distractions because I feel like a lot of our lifestyle revolves around distraction we're distracted by entertainment you know like everything has to be entertaining experiences and that's what we do Mm -hmm. it kind of takes our mind off the things that really matter which is again our mental well-being and our physical well-being and now all of a sudden you're home you're locked here and you're like okay as you mentioned at the very beginning you start thinking about what you're consuming because you're sat in the same space every day. And whereas before in the pre-lockdown era, you're just like having lunch break with your colleagues and then just trying this food and trying that. And then, you know, you're really so distracted. You're so focused on the conversation with friends and the social situation that you might not necessarily direct that much attention and what your body is telling you. Whereas now you're just forced to deal with it. So uh, it's been interesting. I think very interesting to see. Um, all of us really engage with conversations on mental health, I guess, to the extent that you've been used to doing um, way earlier and way more regularly. We mentioned that how like I'm living at home, so I'm with people and you're living by yourself at the moment. How have you found uh, lockdown and what's your experience been like living by yourself? Because you've been sheltering as well and so that's why you've been a bit more cautious than other people so how how has your experience yeah so I was shielding for quite a while and I think I went through phases so I worked quite a bit at the beginning and then all of a sudden I wasn't working anymore so that represented a big transition in my lockdown experience So initially, it just felt very much like, oh, okay, I'm just working from home every day, which is something I used to do a couple of times a week before. And I didn't think much of it. Mm -hmm. And then from that, I went into the whole Netflix binging (laughs) and junk food consumption phase where I just sat at home. So that happened. So I was very unhealthy. It felt like a big holiday, like a stay in holiday. And then one thing, obviously, there is to say, which you know already, is that I had recently moved into my flat. So my flat was a bit messy. There are still boxes all over the place. And I still needed to sort it out and buy furniture. I mean, I did have a sofa and a bed, but you know, I still needed to furnish it. So from that, I went into power furnishing mode and like interior decorator. <laughs> kind of had this high where I was like, when I thought, oh my God, this is great. I'm home all the time. I can just order stuff. And it's, no matter what time it is, I'm going to be home. So I started thinking, yeah, let me take advantage of this and just get the flat to be comfortable, which I'm glad I did at the very beginning of lockdown. I think I did that in the first month and a half. And 
because you did your own carpeting and you painted and you pull things together. It was so impressive. <laughs> it was a it was a big effort, and I'm glad I did because I had no idea that this was going to go on for as long as it has been going on. And then it came to a point where where I realized I wasn't going to be working as I usually do. But I was like, wait a second. Okay, Ooh, I have so much time now. <laughs> what is this? Which is also quite sad because it makes you realize that we're not used to having so much time to focus on ourselves. Um, you know, again, as I said before, you're sort of distracted constantly by work, by commuting and all of these things and these interactions that you're forced to have on a daily basis as a result of a nine to five work. So I realized very quickly that that sort of Netflix and binge lifestyle was not very sustainable and not very healthy for myself. And um, I slowly started exercising, which for people that know me, I've tried many things in my days, but I hardly ever stick to anything. And I think part of it is the struggle of having time. Actually, not I think, I know for sure that time is a big issue for me because I have a lot of conditions and it becomes exhausting for me to commute and then go to the gym during my lunch break, which I tried for a few months. And then I realized now I'm basically fainting at my desk. I can't do this. <laughs> so I, I really struggle to find time to insert um, exercising for example which is fundamental for your own well-being and so it was a bit of a paradox for me because I realized that lockdown Sarah has turned out to be much healthier than pre-lockdown Sarah because all of a sudden I had time to dedicate to myself so time to exercise at home figure out which workouts work for me go for a run a daily run in the park which is something I never thought I would do in my life like I used to hate like hate the idea of running <laughs> outdoors in a city especially um luckily I live near a really nice park so I started doing that and that was a big game changer because I think that idea you touched on that in terms of uh keeping your well-being your mental well-being going I think that goes for most people just having that routine that involves some kind of physical activity that made a huge huge difference I had a lot of time to read so reading as bought a lot of books to be fair I had a lot of books that I hadn't read anyway so I keep doing that I just buy books <laughs> and I'm like yeah I'm gonna read it I keep, just keep buying books and actually one of my 2020 resolutions was just to limit my my book shopping and try to read what I have home before I start buying other stuff so I've been reading a lot but then as I mentioned in some other episodes of the podcast I've been consuming a lot of film content on social media a lot um I I don't have a tv so that's one thing that shocks a lot of people because you've got <laughs> Netflix and yeah, laptop exactly I, I'm not a, I, I don't necessarily need a tv yeah. I don't consume live tv as much I have a projector and I have apple tv and I have google Chromecast and all of that but I cast a lot of my content like on demand and the only thing that I might watch live is certain news channels, certain news streams like BBC or Al Jazeera every now and then I watch a couple of hours but even that I have to say it's not necessarily part of my daily routine I I wake up and I have my Google home and I'll just ask for the daily news and I've created a collation of sources that I'm interested in and it just automatically reads out all the news so yeah it's, it's been interesting that I've definitely created a new routine for myself I think in terms of mental health uh, there's been moments where there was definitely a bit of loneliness and I think exactly for that reason that it was very hard to discern what was true from what was false in terms of 
how to behave with the virus. There's a lot of paranoia, a lot of misinformation. And I obviously tried my best to just stick to what I thought was like reputable sources. But obviously it's been a discovery process for the world. It's a new virus, like no one knew about it. No one knew exactly how to manage it or contain it. And we're still working on that. So I think in a way there were moments where I was a bit worried, like am I gonna be able to see another human? <laughs> anytime soon am I gonna stay here like by myself like I don't know an astronaut like on a, on a space station for like 11 months on my own just seeing people on screen yeah I think there was a bit of loneliness at some point but it's interesting because talking about not being used to thinking about your mental health for some people for a lot of people uh, I think that's including myself sometimes I just don't take that much time to acknowledge how I feel and how my mental health is affecting me. So it took me a while to realize that I felt maybe a bit of depression, especially when uh, the whole protest erupted. There, there were so many things going on on the news and it was also heavy. And uh, there are moments where I felt a bit hopeless. You have environmental issues, you have social justice issues, and you're here by yourself, you know, in your flat and you're like, I uh, can't do anything about this. Help like news cycle as well, and that's yeah. yeah. So, so that's I think that's been my experience overall. It's been way more positive than I expected, and I think, and I'll repeat this again. I've said it before. I think part of it is the fact that I I have a very comfortable space in which I could just shield, and I think this really makes such a huge difference because I I stopped and thought about other possible scenarios like if I were flat sharing or you know if I just had to be I don't know like just in a room with other five people and that's the experience that some have had and I haven't right now or if I didn't have an income so luckily I was privileged enough that I could focus on myself and on my well-being and and on optimizing my my well-being both inner and outer and then obviously started doing the podcast so I started I think I went through phases I, I I went through a creative phase and I think that was one positive outcome. Like it's kind of given me time to rechannel my creativity. Just it's been quite difficult to be a good citizen and, and you know in this specific situation because the directives were sometimes confusing and at times they almost contradicted each other. <laughs> um so yeah, I'm trying to, to stay diplomatic here, but let's just say that there was a lot of chaos, clearly. A lot of institutions didn't really know what to do and what they were doing, but they kept on issuing directives. So, uh, you know, I tried my best. I like to think that I've been fairly compliant as much as I could. But yeah, and I think initially there was, uh, when I got into running, there was a bit of a fear in terms of other people being around me because I was very careful to keep my distance. But I could tell that a lot of people didn't care. And there wasn't anyone to enforce it anyway. Um, Although I kept on hearing about this, fines that were given but I I didn't see anyone I didn't see any police I mean I did see some police patrols just running the streets when the streets were empty essentially just to make sure that people weren't out which felt very dystopian I have to say I feel like now I've almost forgotten about that but it did feel very dystopian empty streets everything shut down yeah and I almost felt like a criminal when I decided to go for a long walk like it counts yeah (laughs) exercise it counts yeah I mean at the beginning you have that one hour 
you're looking at your watch and like, oh my God, it's been an hour and a half. What's going to happen now? I need to run home. I've ventured too far. <laughs> but I remember when you mentioned about going to the post office and I was like, I don't know. I mean, yeah. no, like, don't do it. Don't do it. Somewhere. It's not worth your life. <laughs> yeah. And it was a bit weird because I didn't even know the post office was open. So, you know, it took me a while to understand what I could do, what I couldn't do. Um, but yeah, no, I think it's been it's been interesting, and I feel like um, all the measures are being eased now. Um, so, you know, luckily now we're able to see people from another support. What was it called? Support bubble from another household. Is that what it's called? Yeah. Support bubble. <laughs> you can see people like in a social distancing setting, so still like in you know outdoors, and I think that's. It's good to know that you can do that. I'm still very cautious, but it's good to know that you can do that. I think it's definitely been challenging, but yeah, shielding has helped. Like I, I again, a bit of a paradox, but I don't think I've ever felt as good <laughs> as I have during the lockdown because obviously there's been less cars. So living in Central, that's made a huge difference and I'm asthmatic. So all of a sudden I could go on a walk. I was like, oh my God, good air in Central London. <laughs> Where am I? <laughs> and yeah, there's been some positive outcomes but then again I realized that's a very very selfish sort of way of looking at it because obviously it's been a moment that's challenged so many people and I had again the opportunity to shield not to worry necessarily about not having an income and I'm thinking about other countries um where you know I'm thinking about Brazil right now for example which has been an absolute mess because the government was in denial at the beginning and then about 50%. It was a cartel that popped in. Yes. <laughs> and then about 50% of workers are sort of unofficial workers. So, you know, there's no, and there also there's no minimum income, there's no minimum wage. So the outbreak of the pandemic has meant that people can't even buy food, can't. And this, I mean, it's not like this happens only in Brazil. I mean, it's, it's resulting in that here as well to a certain extent when you look at certain pockets of the population. But I, you know, I think about that and I've been reading a lot about that and it's made me feel very grateful for the position I'm in and the fact that I, you know, that I'm, I'm here and, you know, I'm still employed and I have a, a comfortable place. And yeah, I mean, imagine being by myself and not having any of that it would have been very, very different. So, and again, having a, an internet connection and having all these gadgets to keep myself entertained you know, having a laptop, having a phone, having a projector, like, I mean, it's been a fairly luxurious experience, which feels really weird, but it has been in a way, and um, so, yeah, I think it's been fairly positive, but I definitely have to thank friends and family for having stayed in touch, and I think, again, super lucky to have that. I, I can't imagine this lockdown in a pre-internet era. Oh, my God. Like, wow, we'll be having a very different conversation. I'll be giving you a very different account right now <laughs> of my state of mind. <laughs> so I, I, I'm so aware of it. I'm so aware of it. And I'm so grateful for it. And I'm a bit of a nerd myself. So I just, I get lost in the internet and I, I can go on for weeks. So that helps. That definitely helps. I'm, I'm, I'm very social, but I also enjoy me time and I can keep myself entertained for a long time <laughs> so yeah. I, I think it's probably harder for like um extroverts, extroverts yeah. like straight extroverts that must have been, you know we sh I should probably have a conversation with straight it just made me realize that a lot of my friends aren't straight extroverts which is interesting um, um but 
I yeah, I was trying to think of someone who's an extrovert, but um, <laughs> I think a lot of introverts, especially millennial. This is my theory that millennial introverts are like a new generation of introverts because we've mastered the art of deception. <laughs> and <laughs> so we we know how to put on a good extrovert show. You know? <laughs> but <laughs> we know what we need to do. And, and because we have social media and instant messaging tools, it's so easy to just disguise that introvert aspect because, you know, it's normal to text and not to speak to people. And, you know, but then there is that, difference between a person that gets anxiety from getting an actual phone call and people that are just like oh let me just spend the next yeah. few hours calling everyone <laughs> I mean I'm, I'm hoping no one does that but uh, yeah <laughs> but yeah anyway um, so, so sorry that was a long answer but yeah no it's, it's been it's been all right it's been a very it's been an opportunity for introspection as well it's been uh, an opportunity for um, starting interesting conversations with friends and family so overall, it's been quite positive. There is part of me that regrets not taking a flight before everything shut down to go to West Africa and just chill from there. But I almost feel like it was necessary for me to be here. I, I, I'm taking it very, as positively as I can, let's put it that way. So yeah, I was supposed to go out on dates. And, you know, well, yeah, yeah. So that, to that, that got a bit disrupted. So that's a little bit annoying. But as they say, I mean, it's not probably very PC, but first world problems. You know, I'm very aware of the fact that people have been dealing with real situations here. And uh, But then having said that, it's also important to remember that everyone lives in their own dimension and their problems are valid. So I yeah, just everyone's struggle is going to be different. And, yeah. you know, their experience is going to be different. And we're not putting down anyone else's experience. Exactly, um, exactly. So if your problem is, as we said initially, skyping or zooming your director whoever from your pool and you're trying to get the angle right you know and you're not sure you know that's a problem too <laughs> i mean i'm not sure that would be a valid problem but if, it's, if, it, if it bothers you then you know <laughs> yeah but no it, it is what it is i think i think i'm gonna have positive memories of my personal journey during lockdown although I'm going to have a lot of negative memories in terms of the global state of things during the pandemic so I think I definitely need to distinguish these two realities my own personal bubble versus what's happening globally and I, and I think part of it has been not focusing on current affairs 24 7 which I've mentioned in another episode like just if I have to start thinking all the time about the effects of the pandemic on certain demographics and certain nations and so on, it's going to be an ever-changing spiral of despair, um, really. So I, I try to stay connected and I want to know what's going on in the world and not saying that it's not important to know what's going on in Yemen right now with the pandemic and just remembering that so many victims in so many places and... Yeah on so many levels so I'm really aware of it and I think we are victims to a certain extent but there is always someone that's in a worse position and so I try to stay informed but I try not to let it suck the life out of me basically um, I, I try to take action where I can but I have to say like I was really paralyzed for a long time I was a bit like what can I do what do I do and then I start the podcast because truly if you have to start donating to each cause you care about like 
you know, probably go bankrupt. So that's a privilege too, being able to spend money. I know that there's been a lot of pressure for people to do that. I've been seeing that. So yeah, I think I was a bit paralyzed at the beginning and I, I was very quiet. I was taking in a lot. And all of a sudden I said, okay, now I've had time to digest ish so I can start talking about things. Mm -hmm. Very long answer again. <laughs> no, but I think, I think that's important. Like I said, there's a 24 seven news cycle. So any of this hadn't existed before it had, it's just that we're forced to look at it. And so you, you're right to just sit there and take your time for actually how much energy you spend looking at it as well. Because in order to help, you have to be able to help yourself first. Uh, and uh, yeah, I, I think that's right. I think I, I think that's a part of looking after your mental health. You can't constantly be switched on looking at it 24 seven, giving all of yourself to like absolutely everything, like giving money and then, you know, going out protesting and then doing stuff at work as well. So yeah, uh, I think if, if anyone takes anything away from this, just do what you can especially people who are from vain backgrounds do it in a way that allows you to conserve that energy for yourself as well because that's your peace of mind she Sorry. agrees uh, <laughs> oh she agrees with you that was the scream of approval <laughs> but yeah wow what a, what a voice what a voice x factor in the making <laughs> that child <laughs> How <laughs> uh, really feel for your neighbour? Hold on. I'm on a call. <laughs> okay. Okay. <laughs> All right. Bye. Um, sorry, my friend's like, we're leaving the house. All right, oh. cool. Do you want to go with them? No, no, I'm good, thanks. I, <laughs> I haven't left the house, Sarah. More than, it's now been a week. Okay, we've been talking for quite a while, so I'm aware that it's actually been a couple of hours. <laughs> so I guess yeah, that's it. Yeah. <laughs> well, thanks for having me, Sarah. Um, I think we were both hungover. We didn't mention it in the beginning, but yeah, we're, we're both very hungover. Good effort, though. Really good effort. I mean, you know, still talking about these topics and diving so deep into all of this, regardless of our state. Thanks a lot for joining me. It's been really good. I really appreciate that you shared some personal experiences with us and with the many, many listeners out there. <laughs> um, that was ironic. But yes, I'm really grateful that you took the time to share your experience living with key workers and your mental health and all of it. So it's been super interesting. We're definitely be looking forward to having you again at some point. <laughs> if you want, of course. <laughs> but yeah, thanks a lot and hope to see you soon. Um, social distancing, of course. <laughs>